Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, July 24th. Kevin Farrell here in for Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state attorney general wants to retain access to out-of-state abortion records. Then the state climatologist discusses the heavy rainfall that swept across Mississippi all summer. Plus, several college students from the Gulf South are participating in this year's Women's World Cup. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's Attorney General has signed onto a letter opposing changes being made to the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, also known as HIPAA. The change would expand protections for patients under the act, and one of the proposed rules would prevent attorney generals from accessing out-of-state abortion records. In a statement from Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch, she says these proposed rules are an attempt by the Biden administration to subvert the Dobbs decision. Our Will Stribling speaks with Mary Ziegler, the Martin Luther King Professor of Law at UC Davis, about the letter and what it could mean for privacy in health care. Obviously, HIPAA creates pretty broad privacy in medical records, but it's not complete and it's subject to certain exceptions. One of those involves investigations by law enforcement. So the idea, I think, that proposal that the Biden administration has, I think, is designed partly to clarify that law enforcement agencies wouldn't have the authority to do this if the medical records are coming from a place where uh, abortion is legal. Um, So, I mean, the the exact language, right, one of the the disclosures that's exempted from HIPAA includes, quote, for a law enforcement purpose to a law enforcement official or in response to court orders, subpoenas, discovery requests, etc., Um, It can even be, you know, health oversight agencies. So HIPAA envisages scenarios where even though you have private medical records, those records become part of civil or criminal or even kind of licensing investigations. What I think makes this more complicated and why the Biden administration is framing the rule expansion in this way is because um, of the, the divide between the states, right? So what, what counts as a crime and who's done anything wrong is going to vary pretty dramatically, right? So a procedure that someone in Mississippi or the state of Mississippi would view as a crime might be viewed not only as legal in California, but as you know protected under the state constitution, right? So I think the Biden administration is intervening 
to say those, those scenarios are different. It's not just a matter of, um, you know, ordinary exemptions from HIPAA's privacy rule. It's something else is going on. So since it only requires the state officials seeking this information get a subpoena or another court order, so this argument from our Attorney General and Fitch and 17 other Republican Attorney Generals arguing that this rule would limit their ability to enforce their own state's laws, does that really hold any water since there there is this avenue through the court for them to get this information anyway? Well, I, I mean, I think one of the, the interesting questions is, you know, how do they intend to enforce the state's law against out-of-state medical providers, right? Um, because I, I think we've already seen this is sort of skirmishing around a broader issue that the Biden administration and other Democrats have talked about, which is, you know, are states going to try to apply their laws extraterritorially, right? So is, is Mississippi going to say, you know, we're going to prosecute people who perform abortions or assist others in getting abortions that happen in the state of Mississippi? Or instead, are they going to do something similar to what Idaho has done or something even broader and say, if someone from Mississippi gets an abortion anywhere, we view that as a crime that the state of Mississippi can prosecute. Um, And if if that's true, because I mean, out of state medical records, it's sort of hard to see unless you're interested in applying your laws extraterritorially. You know, why why do you need those? Right. I mean, what is the scenario where you're going to be prosecuting only people in Mississippi for events that happen in Mississippi when you would need out of state medical records? So I, I think that's part of what's going on here. There's questions about whether states are going to be trying to apply their laws outside of state lines, not just within state lines. If this rule is enacted as planned, there are certainly going to be challenges from from these attorneys general. Like uh, from your perspective, what is the legal, the big legal question here and what precedent is there, if any, that could give us hints to, to where this, this might end up? Well, I mean, obviously the, the rule itself is – probably going to emerge from this rulemaking process. And then I think what happens next will depend on a couple of different things. Obviously, this letter is telegraphing that there's going to be a a, a challenge in court um, to the rule if it goes through, essentially arguing that this exceeds the authority uh, of the relevant agency here, you know, HHS. So they're hoping, I think, that, you know, one way that this would go away, I think they're hoping, is that the conservative federal courts will strike it down. And another way they might hope that it will go away would be if a Republican wins in 2024 and changes the rule. Um, It underscores, I think, again, like who is in the White House will have a lot to do with whether these kinds of interstate abortion prosecutions are realistic or not. Our Attorney General and Fitch used an example infringing on a state's ability to enforce its own law. She said, suppose that state officials had reason to believe that an abortion provider deliberately performed an abortion in violation of state law, resulting in serious injury to the woman, and that the provider then falsified medical records and referred the woman to an out-of-state provider to cover it up. State officials would clearly have a basis to investigate that provider for a potential violation of state law. This rule change would not prevent 
the state from being able to investigate something like that, would it? So it's kind of a moot point, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that the rule change would just apply to out-of-state medical records. So, I mean, I guess the idea is that the state would somehow be unable to investigate because the referral would have been to an out-of-state provider. Obviously, it's worth emphasizing that it's hard to identify and investigate abortion cases, period. (laughs) It's just not easy because... Abortion pills make it hard to detect when abortions are occurring, but I think that that problem is not particularly contingent on the availability of -of out-of-state medical records, right? I I don't see how that necessarily would even help you. Like, how would you know if you're the state of Mississippi that this scenario has occurred, right? Like, I mean, you'd have to already have some evidence of wrongdoing on the part of this abortion provider to even seek the, the records, even under HIPAA as it now stands. Mary Ziegler is a professor of law at UC Davis. Coming up, we speak with a state climatologist. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Please join me and my colleagues for the Mississippi Arts Hour, where we have in-depth conversations with different creative Mississippians. That's the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sundays at 5 on Think Radio, or download it as a podcast. Start your work week with a morning of locally produced programs on MPB Think Radio. At 9, it's Deep South Dining, featuring conversations about Southern cuisine. Hear interviews with interesting Mississippians on Now You're Talking at 10. And at 11, there's information on leading a healthy life on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here in for Desiree Frazier. It's a hot summer in Mississippi, but experts say it's not significantly different than normal. But it has been very wet, with an unusually high amount of rain throughout June and July. Our Kobe Vance speaks with state climatologist Mike Brown about how a major shift in weather patterns is contributing to this unusual weather. Across the state for the month of June, we were actually a little bit cooler than normal. And for July, we while we are a little bit warmer, it depends where you are in the state, between a half of a degree and one degree above what we consider climatological normal. So while it feels warm, and I think some of that is attributed to some rainfall that we had, uh, especially through June, June was a wet month and the beginning of July was a fairly wet month, which means our humidity levels are a little bit higher. Just because we've got crops that are now transpiring, we've got a lot of evaporation. There's just plenty of moisture in the ground that the atmosphere can use. And so I think it feels warmer because of the humidity. But in actual temperature-wise, we're a little bit above normal for July. And June, like I said, uh, was at or below normal. Gotcha. Interesting. You spoke about the rainfall we've been seeing as well. What is the norms for the summer in Mississippi and what have y'all been seeing this year? It fluctuates greatly from the southern part of the state to the northern part of the state. For the northern part of the state right now, we are above normal. We're running about 110 to 115 percent above normal, um, which equates to anywhere from about four to five, maybe six inches above normal from January 1 through mid-July. Some parts of the state, sub-coastal regions, are actually a little bit drier. They usually catch up, though, uh, when the tropics open up and we see uh, more systems 
come off of the Gulf of Mexico and things like that. But overall, for the state of Mississippi, we are running a little bit above normal. The only area that isn't right now is in the northwest part of the state where they have anywhere between about an inch to two and a half inches of deficit in their precipitation. Sounds like the opposite of a drought this year in some parts of the state then. What do you think is contributing to this? Well, again, rain kind of leads to more rain oftentimes. So when we get a, a, a rainfall event, maybe it's an inch, inch and a half, something like that, that really does add a lot of fuel to the atmosphere um, through evaporation, through the transpiration from plants and things like that. And that kind of lends itself to more precipitation. The other thing, looking a little bit larger than the state of Mississippi here, is that we're transitioning from a La Nina into a El Nino event, which means for the southeast, we will see the jet stream come a little bit closer to us. So generally speaking, the southeast, when we transition into an El Nino type of an environment, which we currently are, we will see more storms because the jet stream that guides those storms is a little bit further south. So typically, temperatures are about normal, which we are seeing that, although it has been hot the last couple of weeks, and precipitation is above normal. Now, in the wintertime, that's all going to flip, where we will remain with above normal precipitation, but colder than normal temperatures. So don't be surprised uh, if we don't have one or two snowfall events in Mississippi once we get into the winter season. What do you think this is going to mean for Mississippians in general having this larger amount of water come down? Do you think that this is going to be affecting rivers? I know we've already seen some flash flooding in parts of the states as well. We sure have seen some flash flooding. In, in terms of river flooding and those kinds of things, that's really rainfall or snowfall or snow melt that occurs north of us that generates that kind of longer-term flooding from rivers and tributaries and things like that. But we have seen some intense rainfall events uh, the last few weeks that has led to some localized flooding, especially in urban areas, you know, where we just can't get that water off of the impermeable surfaces fast enough, and it, and it just builds up. So nothing as the state climatologist worries me right now. In fact, I'm encouraged by the rainfall because that means we should, and by the looks of things, from being out and about, agricultural yield should be up a little bit this year, especially if we can have slightly warmer temperatures and plenty of rainfall. Crops really thrive on that type of an environment. And so I think it's good for the farmers the way we are right now. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with Mississippians, uh, weather patterns that you've been tracking that you think are interesting? When we switch from uh, La Nina into an El Nino and we get those steering currents a little bit closer, odd things happen. I don't, I mean, some Mississippians are aware of it, especially if they live in the east central part of the state. But we had some record-breaking hail, hail events in June here where we had four-and-a-half-inch, five-inch hailstones uh, from storms. And, and that's incredibly rare, especially in the summertime in Mississippi. But it's just... Turning those winds slightly, you know, at way, way, way above us, above where the airplanes fly, guides these storms just a little bit south. And, and by a little bit, I mean maybe it's 100 miles. But whatever it is, just that added little energy in the atmosphere can give us some pretty big storms. And so it has seemed 
unusual to many Mississippians this summer. But in the grand scheme of things, climatologically, we're where we need to be. We're just a little bit more on rainfall. And like I said, June was a little cooler. July is shaping up to be a little bit warmer. Mike Brown, state climatologist, thank you so much for joining us today. Yep, thank you. Coming up, several local athletes are participating in the Women's World Cup for Soccer. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are the cool kids wearing nowadays? A bucket hat and fanny pack. I meant to say a belt bag. That's the 21st century name for it. You can get this MPB branded swag package by making a one-time $60 contribution. You'll also receive a year of PBS Passport to stream new and classic shows. A mix of current and classic. That's Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Make a contribution today at mpbonline.org. Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Please join me and my colleagues for the Mississippi Arts Hour, where we have in-depth conversations with different creative Mississippians. That's the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sundays at 5 on Think Radio, or download it as a podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, in for Desiree Frazier. Several soccer players with ties to Mississippi and the Gulf South are participating in the Women's World Cup in Australia this year. The competition brings the greatest soccer players from across the world. And among them is Hillary Jean, a native of Panama who's attending Jones College. Her coach, Dolores Deasley, says Hillary is an exceptionally talented at the sport. She spoke with our Lacey Alexander. Her commitment puts her on that next level. She's uh, extremely hardworking, you know, just absolutely eats, sleeps and breathes football or soccer, if you will. Yeah, I mean, she's just that kid that, you know, she's constantly out doing doing the extra grafting on her own, um, extra training, getting the extra touches on the ball, any chance she can get. And we're, we're excited that she's, she'll certainly be our first player that's ever played in a World Cup. Um, so we're excited to watch her play there and just excited for her to, to get this opportunity. It's a, a trip of a lifetime, um, a dream come true for her to be able to compete in the, uh, the World Cup. So, yeah, just, just really excited for her and the opportunity she's, she's about to have. It's really interesting that we're having this conversation. I believe the Women's World Cup just expanded its numbers of teams either this year or last year. So what does it mean for more women and more countries to be represented and get the opportunity to play on the stage to you as someone who works in this field? I think it's a great thing and could have really came before when I felt, but even just for myself, you can tell I have a bit of an accent. I I come originally from Ireland. So you've got the likes of Panama and the Republic of Ireland that have qualified for the first time in their history, um, both for the World Cup. And, you know, I can I can only say that what I'm seeing from people at home in Ireland and the experience that uh, of the, the young people just, you know, really, really getting involved now and getting behind the national team because it's obviously it's history being made and, and it's never happened before. So it's really, it, it's just brought so much happiness and joy to our little island and I'm sure it's the same thing for Panama um, when I speak to Hillary and, and what a just what a huge um, achievement it is for those countries and, and the excitement that it's creating among the people. You can't go wrong with that when you see people happy and, and just having something to be excited about and, and having a good time and, and of course it's creating a lot of interest now especially with young females and getting them involved in, in the game at a younger age and Yeah, I mean, it's just great to see. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up about what it means to people from from your home country and what it means to people at Panama. 
what's cool about the Panama team is it's not only Hillary, who is heralding from a Mississippi university, but Riley Tanner, who just graduated from the University of Alabama, will also be on the Panama mm-hmm. team. Talk to me what it means to you as a coach, coaching in our state, how cool it is to see a little bit of Southern representation at the national stage as well. Oh, it's brilliant. You know, I feel like all, all through the years, I've always obviously been here for, for quite some time now. Um and you've always felt like Mississippi have kind of been left behind in a way, or, or people will say that we, we are a little bit behind when you compare it to other states and everything else. But, you know, we've gotten great recognition with our, our colleges over the years, and we've, we've got some phenomenal university and college teams within the state of Mississippi. And we're attracting players from obviously all over the state, but also all over the country and from numerous countries all around the world that are coming here to Mississippi and you know, one of the big things that my international girls will say that they, they truly feel like Mississippi is like a, a home away from home for them. And that's just a true testament to the, the people of of the state. You know, we are the hospitality state at the end of the day. And um, it's great to see these girls having these opportunities and having such a great experience. And it's brilliant for us now that they're they're obviously helping to put us a little bit more on the map and, and get get our colleges this, this exposure. Also on the Panama team this year is Riley Tanner, a former student at the University of Alabama. She says they are gearing up for a competition of a lifetime. Emotion are all over the place, obviously, um, but I think nervousness is good when it comes to soccer. And I think I'm very thankful for just like my faith. I mean, we're here to compete. We're here to give it our all. We're out here training every day and working hard, um, working on tactics, working on whatever we need to work on, fitness, everything that we need to be prepared for this first game here. And we're super excited. We're here here to win, here to compete, here to give it our all. And I think that's if we do those things, we'll, we'll come out on the other side. Ruth Matazine is a native of Haiti and recently transferred to Mississippi State University. Her coach, James Armstrong, says he's proud to see her on the international stage. So, um, to your point, I've actually never coached uh, Nini, Ruth Nini, you know, uh, up till this point. But uh, we played against her twice when she was at her previous school, Louisiana Lafayette, um, both in her freshman year in the fall and then most recently um, this spring. And both times when we have had to play against her, uh, as you do when you're um, evaluating the, the game afterwards, you say, you know, that, that she was a really good player, you know, like somebody that we would, love to coach if the opportunity ever arose. Um, and then, as luck would have it, um, she went in the transfer portal. Um, we have a very good relationship with her previous coaches who kind of told us that she, they thought she'd be a good fit for us. So we got her on the phone, um, had a great conversation with her. She liked what she saw from us in the times that she played against us. Uh, she came on a visit, loved it, and uh, thankfully she... Uh, she decided to come here. And the things that I think we're most excited about, first and foremost, is she's such a great competitor. Um, you know, she loves to win. She hates to lose. She fights for everything. Um, you know, I, I think she's a very hardworking player. Um, has played different positions. Uh, we actually recruited her to play for us as an outside back, which is where she prefers to play and where hopefully she will play um, in tomorrow's game um, against England. Um, but she was playing as a forward against us and caused us all sorts of problems in the spring. So 
She's got versatility. She's got pace. Um, she's left-footed. Um, and she's really good on the ball, you know? So I think those are the, the intangibles. But the other part that's very important to us as we go through recruiting anybody is we thoroughly enjoyed her as a person um, in the time we got to spend with her when she came on her visit. Um, she asked very good questions. Um, was fun to be around. Um, you could tell that she has a great desire to be the best she can be and play at the highest level possible. Panama kicked off this morning at 6, and the Haitians will take the field again on Friday versus China. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.